ultimate significance of this latest move by Mr. Trump is the outrage it's going to cause, not only in the Arab and Muslim world, but internationally. Already there is a growing and gathering rift between the European Union and the United States, and this recent move by Mr. Trump will contribute to that rift. For those of us paid to be economists, watching this unfold in Washington right now really makes us scratch our heads and say, this is one of the grandest ripoffs of a population we have ever seen. We are fighting for our health, our homes, and our future. Allowing fossil fuel companies to expand in their greedy search for oil would thrust the world into even greater climate chaos. That means more storms and damage, more droughts and famines, more health risks, and more people forced out of their homes. Welcome to On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance and Alternative News from the Nation's Capital. I'm Esther Ivarum. On today's show, economist Richard Wolf discusses the GOP tax plan, some call it a tax scam, which experts say would be one of the largest transfers of wealth to the 1% in the history of the United States. And with other measures tucked into the tax bill, such as the loss of health care for 13 million people, Scores of protesters descended on the Capitol this week, and we'll hear some of their voices. All that is coming up, but first our headlines. Because the Senate version of the GOP tax plan includes opening up the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge to drilling, as well as additional tax breaks to fossil fuel industries, on Monday, environmentalists targeted members of Congress, urging them to vote against the bill with these measures. Afra Abdullah has more. So I went down to me, and I took back what he stole from me, and I took back my dignity. On Monday, December 4th, a grassroots organization called the Sunrise Movement staged a sit-in with House Republicans over environmental issues. The Sunrise Movement is dedicated to making climate change an urgent national priority. According to a release from the group, both Curbelo and Meehan are members of the Bipartisan House Climate Solution Caucus and both signed a November 30th letter to congressional leadership opposing oil and gas drilling in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge, which the Senate tax bill would allow. Representative Curbelo is a co-chair and founder of the caucus. About 15 Sunrise members protested in both Pennsylvania Representative Meehan's and Florida Congressman Curbelo's office admits chants of whose side are you on, along with voicing their concerns. Representative Meehan, we're here as representatives of the Sunrise Movement. We're young people concerned about climate change and about our future. We're here to ask you to vote no on the GOP tax bill. This tax bill is a giveaway to the top tenth of the 1% of our society, and disaster for the rest of us. 
The group also opposes other provisions within the bill, such as the negative impact on the environment, like handouts to the oil and gas industries and changes in the tax code that would impede potential transition to renewable energy. It's simple. If you say that you care about young people and if you say that you care about our planet, you need to vote no on this bill. Sunrise's fight is far from over as the Senate passes final version of the bill last Friday and the House and the Senate versions must now be reconciled in conference committee, then passed again by both chambers. This leaves a narrow window of time for the group to make their voices heard and prevent the legislation from becoming law. Thank you, Afra. Her report was about the sit-in in the Springfield, Pennsylvania office of Representative Meehan. We'll hear voices of those sitting in the office of Representative Carlos Corbello of Florida later in the show. Well, before this week's inflammatory move by Donald Trump to recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel, solidarity between African-Americans and Palestinian people was the subject of a program Saturday in Northwest D.C. Chantel James has more. Georgetown University's Black Student Alliance and Students for Justice in Palestine commemorated the 62nd anniversary of Rosa Parks' legendary act of resistance in the Montgomery, Alabama bus system this December 1st with a community discussion of the parallels between the apartheid imposed by the Israeli state on Palestinians and the liberation struggles of black Americans. The discussion was held at Hands on Drums, a pop-up store and community space in Northeast. Speakers April Goggins, Sahar Francis, Jacqueline Walker, Jaquil Durham, Iman Abdul-Fadil, and Ben Woods spoke from their respective perspectives as organizers and activists in anti-racist movements here in the D.C. area, as well as resistance movements to Israeli occupation. The gentrification occurring in our very city, in the very neighborhood where the event was held, was linked to the settler colonialism Palestinians have been subject to since the establishment of the State of Israel. Washington, D.C. is a city with one of the most pervasive and militarized police presences in the country, and state-sanctioned violence is as pressing an issue here as in Palestine. April Goggins of Black Lives Matter, D.C. speaks of parallels between the omnipresence of the police in our communities, the intimidation that is the beginning of state violence, and the occupying forces in Palestine. Um, And so you look at settlements, you look at Gaza Strip, and you look at the ways in which if you dissent, if you are a troublemaker, then how about we just throw you out your house? How about um, when we look at police violence here? When, I mean, there's a, there's a very clear distinction in the way that the United States is militarizing police. And it's not just militarizing the police, it's militarizing policing, right? And so the same way that you see um, the IDF rolling down in various neighborhoods and communities with tanks and all the military gear they can fit on their person. I was in Israel and it was just like, so like they walk down the street like that? Like not that it, I mean, but it's very different, right? There's a visual, a very visual um, terror that comes with that, right? I mean, I'm just like, we're stopping at a, a stoplight and they're getting on the bus with the 
M16s, no, okay, yeah, we just had to go to the airport. Um, but there's a definite feeling then of omnipresence, right? And that's something in DC that you, you can't ignore. It's living in a police state to remind you that if you get out of line or forget and get comfortable, we're still here. We're everywhere. From Northeast DC, this is Chantal James. This is On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the Nation's Capital. I'm Esther Averam, and now I'm joined by our geopolitical analyst, professor, writer, author, Gerald Horn. Well, there's a lot to talk about today. This week, Donald Trump recognized Jerusalem as being the capital of the state of Israel, and uh, I've been hearing different commentary on this. And of course, it's really outrageous and really inflammatory. But it's really something that a lot of presidents have done in words, but they haven't acted on it in terms of of moving the U.S. embassy. So what are your thoughts on this latest move by Trump? Well, you are correct. There was a bill that passed during the Clinton administration that basically suggested that the United States should recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel, but there have been waivers by subsequent presidents basically setting aside that mandate. I think that you have to look at this apparent refusal of Mr. Trump to continue that tradition as part of a number of president-breaking traditions that Mr. Trump has now initiated. What I'm referring to, of course, is his seeking to pull out of the climate peace, uh, excuse me, the Paris Climate Accord. And I think that the ultimate significance of this latest move by Mr. Trump is the outrage it's going to cause, not only in the Arab and Muslim world, but internationally. Already there is a growing and gathering rift between the European Union and the United States, and this recent move by Mr. Trump will contribute to that rift. I think that this recent move by Mr. Trump also helps to unmask Saudi Arabia, which has been edging ever closer to Israel as part of its anti-Iranian threats that it has been posing in recent months. But given the fact that on the so-called Arab street, there will be outrage, it will be very difficult for Saudi Arabia to continue that pose, that is to say, supposedly being anti-Iranian when actually they're acting as a kind of agent for Israel. Don't be surprised if another intifada erupts in the West Bank and in Gaza. And don't be surprised at all if U.S. facilities, including embassies and consulates and legations, are attacked abroad. This is a disastrous decision by Donald J. Trump. It also is happening at the same time when there have been a number of reports basically questioning this whole Russiagate investigation, having Russia as a target as opposed to Israel. And I've seen a number of reports that have pointed out that all this attention on Michael Flynn has failed to pinpoint the fact that he was actually reaching out to Russia to get them to agree to not criticize Israel on a UN vote. 
in terms of uh, that was one of his his first outreach to them was to try to get them to uh, a UN vote that was going to go against Israel. And the hue and cry about Russia in terms of collusion doesn't seem to also be placed on Israel in terms of Israel trying to interfere with the then policy of the Obama administration and to impact Donald Trump's presidential campaign. Well, you have a point there. And interestingly enough, in an op-ed piece in the Boston Globe the other day, the pro-Israeli zealot, Professor Alan Dershowitz of Harvard Law School, made precisely that point. And that was a reason that he says that he is so supportive of Donald J. Trump, because he, don't, he doesn't seem to feel like Mr. Trump's lawyers that there is such a thing as obstruction of justice when it's perpetrated by the U.S. president. It's also interesting to note that this focus on Israel would disrupt the anti-Trump coalition and also the Democratic Party, since we already know that there are so many pro-Israeli fanatics within the ranks of the Democratic Party. And it's interesting to note as well that it was just announced that President Putin will be heading to Cairo within the next few days. And this, too, will outrage those who are trying to put forward this Russiagate analysis because fundamentally they are opposed to Russia playing any role in Syria, certainly Russia playing any role with regard to solving the Palestinian question. But given Mr. Trump's latest move, this recognition of Jerusalem as the capital of Israel, I don't think that we have an alternative to Russia playing a more aggressive role in trying to resolve this festering sore that is the Israeli occupation of Palestinian soil. The other international issue that has been on my radar is the whole outcome of the, of the election in Honduras. And I think to this day, as we speak, there have have the election results have not been released in terms of the actual numbers, but the the outcome seems to be determined that the present U.S.-backed regime is going to stay in power, and they're denying a victory to the in, the opponent who was kind of the people's choice. So uh, it just seems like this really just naked. <laughs> fraud and kind of an old style, uh, you know, way of the U.S. treating Honduras like a, a banana republic and not letting the people there decide their own destiny. Well, you, you have a point there. Obviously, there have been some irregularities in terms of the vote count. You may recall that just a few days ago, the challenger, Salvador Nazarado, who happens to be of Arab descent, of course, there is a large Arab population in Central America, was surging ahead. But then all of a sudden, within the last 48 to 72 hours, he seemed to be uh, dragging, seemed to be falling behind, even after the spokesperson for the incumbent, Mr. Hernandez, has suggested that Mr. Nerala's challenge and victory was, quote, irreversible, unquote. There has been an apparent U.S. complicity insofar as just recently the Trump administration has given the good housekeeping seal of approval to the incumbent with regard to human rights. 
And this is taking place even though there have been credible charges that the current regime in Tegucigalpa is complicit with regard to drug dealing. They are also complicit with regard to the murder of environmental activists. Indeed, human rights organizations claim that environmental activists have a higher rate of mortality in Honduras than any other place on planet Earth. Obviously, this also calls into question the bona fides of the Organization of American States, which has been so harsh in its castigation of elections in Venezuela, but has been something of a pussycat when it comes to this obvious irregularity that is the election in Honduras. Well, these are two international areas that we'll definitely keep watching on in the coming weeks. So why don't we end with uh, some news that we may not know about, your little-known news for this week. Well, during this conversation, we've talked about how Mr. Trump is seeking to recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. We mentioned how he is seeking to pull the United States out of the Paris Climate Accord. But something that will become controversial and newsworthy, I think, shortly, sooner rather than later, is Mr. Trump attempting, attempting to wreck the World Trade Organization, not necessarily for the reasons that protesters were marching in the streets in Seattle in 1999, but as part of a larger scheme to help to put a bullseye on the back of China. That is to say that Mr. Trump feels that the WTO has been uh, much too friendly to China. He feels that it has been too unfriendly to the United States of America. But if he succeeds in wrecking the World Trade Organization, or at least weakening it, I dare say that all it will serve to do is drive the European Union closer to China and drive other major powers closer to China as well. In other words, this will backfire just like his attempt to recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel is also destined to backfire. Okay, well, we'll, we'll watch that. Uh, later in the show, we have a long conversation with uh, economist Richard Wolf, and uh, he's interested in the, the tax, I don't know whether you call it a tax plan, because it's, it's whatever's being possibly passed by Congress right now is going to have a tremendous impact here domestically. And it's not apparently helping any of the base really that elected Trump and it's a massive corporate giveaway, but combining that with the things that we've discussed, there's certainly a lot of things that are happening around the Trump administration. So I've been speaking with our geopolitical analyst, Professor Gerald Horn, author and activist. Thank you so much for joining me today, Gerald. Thank you.
On Monday, young people with the group Sunrise set in at offices of House Republicans to demand they vote against tax breaks for the 1% and fossil fuel billionaires. Representative Patrick Meehan, Republican of Pennsylvania, and Representative Carlos Curbelo, Republican of Florida, are part of the Climate Solutions Caucus. But Sunrise said that both congressmen are considering voting for a bill that would give massive handouts for oil and gas executives and open drilling in the Arctic. These are voices from the group Sunrise sitting in at Representative Curbelo's office on Capitol Hill on Monday. Whose side are you on, Curbelo? Whose side are you on? We are here in House of Representative Carlos Curbelo's office because we are fighting for our health, our homes, and our future. We are calling on him to vote against the tax bill. This bill clears the way for fossil fuel companies to drill in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge. Allowing fossil fuel companies to expand in their greedy search for oil would thrust the world into even greater climate chaos. That means more storms and damage, more droughts and famines, more health risks, and more people forced out of their homes. The Arctic National Wildlife Refuge is a sacred home for the indigenous Gwinnett people. By allowing fossil fuel companies to invade this sacred place, they are encroaching on indigenous rights and threatening their way of life. In addition to enabling fossil fuel CEOs to endanger our futures and devastate the Arctic land, the tax bill slashes renewable energy incentives and gives extra handouts to the fossil fuel industry. to fossil fuel billionaires. We do not accept a world where our political leaders favor fossil fuel billionaires over indigenous rights, our health, and a safe climate. As young people, we are uniting to ensure that politicians who fail to protect the climate and our futures are voted out of office. Representative Curbelo is a member of the Bipartisan Climate Solutions Caucus. He has signed a letter opposing Arctic drilling. This tax bill is completely inconsistent with his opposition to Arctic drilling. This tax bill is an attack on young people, it's an affront to indigenous people, and it is devastating to students, and it demonstrates reckless disregard for the people in the United States and elsewhere who have had their homes destroyed and lives uprooted. Young people here and in Florida and across the country will not stand for political leaders who side with fossil fuel billionaires rather than with our health and Together, we are stronger than the fossil fuel industry. And we will do whatever it takes to protect the Arctic, a livable climate, and our futures. Representative Curbelo, stand with young people, not fossil fuels. Protect the Arctic. Vote against this tax scam. Hi, everybody. We are here out inside, taking a stand inside Representative Curbelo's office. He's co-chair of the Climate Solutions Caucus, and yet he has supported this monstrous tax bill that's going to be a major giveaway to fossil fuel billionaires across the country while the people suffer, while our homes suffer, 
while our futures are threatened. And so we are here demanding that Representative uh, Carlos Corbello oppose the tax bill, oppose drilling in the Arctic, and protect our futures. So we are here today um, to visit Congressman Curbelo from Florida, whose state is currently at extreme risk uh, of the effects of climate change. And Rep Representative Curbelo represents South Florida, which we all know is currently suffering from flooding on on a on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis, um, threatening the lives and livelihood of people all across his state. And a couple of years ago, uh, Representative Curbelo was elected, and I was excited to see him break from party lines and take leadership on uh, speaking out about climate change, acknowledging that it's a real issue and that the government needs to do something about it. Um, and Representative Curbelo took the leadership to start something called the Climate Solutions Caucus. And it's been incredible to see him speak out again and again. But we know that words are not enough, and we need Representative Carlos Cabello to take action. That's right. And that is why we are here today. We are yep. here in Representative Cabello's office to tell him that this GOP tax cam is a handout to fossil fuel CEOs at the expense of the rest of us. If Representative Cabello votes for this bill, he will be choosing the interests of his and the GOP's corporate donors Ooh. over the interests of all of us. Shame. Because climate change is something that affects all of us, all across the world, here in the United States, and especially in South Florida, but we know that it doesn't affect all of us equally. And just like this GOP tax cam that would worsen economic inequality for generations, allowing climate change to continue unchecked would do exactly the same thing. And that is why we are here to say today to ask Representative Cabello, whose side are you on? The fossil fuel CEOs or young people and our futures? Representative Cabello, whose side are you on? Are you going to stand with the people of your district or with your corporate donors? Whose side are you on? Are you going to stand with corporate executives and the mega rich? or young people who have health care, grad school opportunities, our futures, and the threat of a livable planet all at risk if you pass this climate disaster, which is the GOP tax scam. So vote no, Representative Carello. Stand with your values. Show the leadership that we need in this time where our politics is so broken. And stand with the people. Stand with young people. Stand with our futures. Whose side are you on, Cabello? Yeah. Whose side are you on, Cabello? Whose side are you on? Take the people's side. Whose side are you on, Cabello? Out of my skull, my grandma passed, my brother's gone. I 
you're just tuning in this is on the ground on the ground show.org voices of resistance from the nation's capital i'm esther Averam, and now i'm joined on the line by economist richard wolf professor of economics emeritus at the university of massachusetts host of the radio show economic update and author of many books including capitalism's crisis deepens essays on the global economic meltdown welcome back to the show richard thank you i'm really glad to be here esther Well, here in D.C., of course, the main economic news is this tax cut, tax reform plan that looks like it might actually pass Congress. And some people are calling it a corporate coup in terms of the drastic reduction in corporate taxes and all these givebacks to the rich in terms of the estate tax and many other elements of it. So let's start by just talking. Give me your thoughts on this tax plan and how it will impact people. I'd be glad to. I think, in a way, your very introduction puts the exact light, if I could say that, on what's going on here. This law that is now in its final stages of being written by the Republicans in the Senate, together with the Republicans in the House of Representatives, and with their eyes glued to the Republican president, this is a tax change of the kind that wealthy people and large corporations have dreamed about for decades. In the past, they were able to get smaller changes along the way, unfortunately from Democrats as well as from Republicans. But because the Democrats were there, perhaps, these changes were never as big or as grand for corporations and the rich as this one. They simply couldn't get the support. Uh, Trade unions, social organizations, and millions of concerned Americans would yell loud enough that it would frighten the politicians, uh, and they wouldn't go as far as the business community and the rich had in mind. But this changes everything. The Republicans now control all the levers of government, and they're delivering to their patrons, the business community, the wealthy, who have always preferred the Republicans to the Democrats anyway. They are now delivering what this community of wealthy corporations and wealthy individuals, individuals, by the way, who are made wealthy precisely because They are the top executives and the shareholders of the businesses. These folks are now, they're getting a fantasy. They're like little children who have always wanted to go to the amusement park, and now finally the parents have uh, relented, and everybody's going off for a weekend with unlimited spending possibilities to enjoy everything this amusement park has. So it's kind of, you don't even know where to start as a professional economist, which is what I am. 
you don't even know where to start because one lovely present to corporations and the rich follows every other uh, one. So I'm going to pick a couple just to drive home what's going on here. The first one, and the biggest single part of this whole bill, is the proposal to reduce the corporate profits tax from the current legal amount, 35%, to 20%. The final numbers are being hashed out now, and it might be a little bit more or less than 20%, but the basic idea is we are cutting the tax on the profits corporations earn. And basically, that's a corporate income tax. It's like you pay and I pay a tax on our income that we earn when we work all year, and corporations are likewise required to pay a tax on their income. And by income, I mean the difference between what a company gets in revenue minus what it pays out in the costs of whatever it is it produces. So corporations are getting an unbelievable Christmas present. The corporate tax rate will drop from 35% to roughly 20%. That's just a little less than a 50% cut in their tax liability to the federal government. That is staggering. And it's particularly staggering because over the last 20 years, corporations have been very profitable, they have been not only profitable, but they have enriched their shareholders and their chief executives by more money than in any comparable period of American history. We are not giving a tax break to corporations because they're having a hard time. We're giving an enormous tax break to corporations after they have been monumentally profitable in an historically unprecedented degree. There is no justification, neither in economics nor in any sense of fairness whatsoever, to do such a thing. And if you understand that when you cut the taxes of corporations like this, you are going to give the government massively less money, because you're not taxing them, but half of what you used to, then you realize that the morning after this bill becomes the law, the government is going to start having to deal with the fact that it is no longer going to get the income tax it used to get from these big companies, and that means the government is going to have to do either cut the social programs because it can't afford to pay for them, now that it doesn't get these taxes from the corporations, or it can raise the taxes on the rest of us to make up to the government what it isn't going to be getting from corporations, or if it doesn't do one of those two things, it will then have to borrow the money in order to keep the level of public services now that they're not taxing the corporations. And here comes the worst of it. If the government chooses the third option, to borrow, which, by the way, is what the leaders of the Republican Party say they are going to do, then the, here's the irony. They can't borrow that money from you and me 
the people because we don't have it. They will be able to borrow the money from the very corporations and the rich who will have the money to lend to the government precisely because the government has cut their taxes by nearly 50%, as I explained. So when the dust clears, here's what you've got. The government will have cut the taxes of corporations and the rich and then will turn around and borrow from corporations and the rich the very money they no longer pay in taxes. Mm. That is a boondoggle that you would have to search long and hard to find a flim-flam man capable of pulling a stunt like that on an unsuspecting, gullible population. And for those of us paid to be economists, watching this unfold in Washington right now really makes us scratch our heads and say, this is one of the grandest rip-offs of a population we have ever seen. You know, before you get to the other point you wanted to mention, I wanted to uh, interject that the Republicans may be kind of the architects of this, but I was really disheartened to see that that many Democrats were joining in on the Senate subcommittee that I was I was listening in on. Elizabeth Warren was putting forward several amendments to basically weaken this massive giveaway to corporations and banks and and all of her amendments failed but she she, i think she knew they would fail she just wanted to get people on the record for voting uh against these amendments and many democrats joined in in defeating her amendments you know things simple like like if you if you have uh, cheated your employees out of uh, pay or in the case of Wells Fargo, you know, you've been shown to cheat your customers and commit fraud. Basically, you should not get any type of uh, certain kind of benefits that that are in this bill. And all of her amendments were defeated. And many Democrats in, <laughs> joined in. Absolutely. And you know why that's done uh, for your listeners, particularly you probably know, Esther, but. These Democrats are afraid. They're afraid that the big donors in this country, the people who pay the lobbyists to work in Washington, the people who give big donations to candidates, the people who give big donations to the political parties and so forth, those are mostly big corporations and the wealthy that are made wealthy by big corporations. And the Democrats, who have to run for office, are very afraid of offending those people because if they do two things will happen those companies and those individuals will not give them money and will give the money instead to their republican opponents and in order to prevent that from happening they need to be able to show that on lots of votes that are good for corporations and the rich they were on their side So in a way, they actually like people like Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders or folks like that to put forth these amendments precisely so they can go on the record voting against them, and then they can be sure to send letters to the corporate leaders, to the wealthy people in their districts saying, see, 
you shouldn't uh, support my opponent because look how good I voted on this amendment and this thing and that thing. I'm not your enemy. I'm, yes, I'm a Democrat, but I'm pretty much like those Republicans. And that will save them from the kind of uh, warped hostility that they would otherwise face. It, it's a very sad comment because it shows, not that I think too many people need this to be said, but it shows that our political leadership has been bought and paid for. It is simply too difficult for a senator or a representative in this country at this time uh, to successfully run for office if he or she uh, has offended the people with the money. And it's more true today than it's ever been in American politics. And it means that the people can want one thing, but if the people with the money want something else, the political representatives do what they're told to do by the people who pay the money to them. And the rest of us, we can feel one way about something. It just doesn't matter anymore. My time is, is, is running out, so I want to make sure I get to the other points in, the, in our interview. So one of the things in this tax bill that's in Congress right now is the fact that they are using this opportunity to kind of revisit the Affordable Care Act and strip away health care from 13 million people. The last time we spoke, we, you know, there was like a victory, actually, where uh, uh, an attempt to repeal it was defeated. But now they've kind of stuck that back into this bill. And it reminds me of uh, an, an economic update I heard on your show not that long ago, where Lowndes County, this county in, in Alabama, historic county, really, for the civil rights movement and the black power movement, but all, always, you know, this uh, poor county that their study was done recently. And it was found that two in five people in the county uh, had hookworms. And this is like, you know, intestinal parasites is a disease associated with extreme poverty. And you have this at, in this country, the richest country in the world, which I guess is debatable at this point. But, you know, you have this type of, of disease associated with extreme poverty when you have corporations getting a massive tax cut. Uh, uh, healthcare being decimated for many people, including for many of the poorest people. So that's just a part of this so-called tax plan that is uh, really disturbing to me. Yes, and I, it, I think it, it illustrates the very points uh, we were discussing uh, in two ways. Let me do the first one, then the second I'll be brief. The first one. The reason the, the, the Republicans and Trump and the big corporations and the wealthy are against the Affordable Care Act is not because of the care that it provides, about which, unfortunately, they could care less. Their upset is that the Obama administration paid for the benefits under the Affordable Care Act by taxing at a very, very low rate wealthy people uh, who earn over two or three hundred thousand dollars a year I mean a tiny sliver of the American population but who have so much wealth that even a small tax on them 
provides the government with the money to provide health care for millions of people. They didn't want to pay that tax. Rich as they are, richer as they have become over the last 30 years, they hated paying that tax to provide health care to the American people the way every other advanced industrial country in the world does. That's why the Republicans, forever serving corporations and the rich, turned against the care bill, and that's why they are committed to doing that. And even though they've lowered taxes in this tax bill, they now still want to get after that little tax for health care. And if that means that the people of Lowndes County, Alabama, have hookworm, if it means that millions of American families face the catastrophe of a major illness without an insurance to help them through it, even though there's no fault of their own, this is where a, a collapsing society goes. I mean, think of it this way. It's like understanding that the system is coming down and having the attitude, I'm going to get as big a piece of this collapsing system as I possibly can in the remaining months and years before it all disintegrates. And then let the chaos happen. I will have gathered the wealth in my hands. I will survive. My family and I will get through it because I'm grabbing everything that isn't nailed down. This is the mentality I encounter as I talk to corporate leaders around the country. A good number of them know what we're talking about, Esther. They understand, too, what it is, after all, that they're doing. And when you say to them, well, how can you do this in good conscience, they say, this is a, everybody's on their own, they say. This is a time when we can grab what we couldn't for decades. We're going to grab it all. And even if then the, the, the blowback happens, we will have stored up so much wealth that we'll come through all right. And if the mass of the American people suffer horrifically in the years to come, we'll be okay. Look, it's, it's what happens when, when every effort at being a community, at being a collection of people working together, when that falls apart, you're on your own. And the worst self-serving, selfish instincts come forward. And people suddenly, you know, turn against their neighbor, turn against their friends, turn against other parts of the community because they become desperate as this decline begins to eat at their particular situation. I don't mean to be, you know, dire in what I say, but we're beyond the point of pretending that everything is okay. This tax bill, and that's why it's so important that you talk about it the way you do, this tax bill is a monument. It is a turning point in which... Something that was happening slowly in America since the 1970s is now shifting into a high gear. And it's nothing other than redistributing the wealth from the mass of people to the folks at the top. Producing an inequality that is so extreme. Just to give you one example. I live here in Manhattan in New York City. Two blocks from where I live, an apartment building was built two years ago. 
The cheapest studio apartment in the building is five and a half million dollars. That's a studio apartment. Uh, <sighs> the people who live in there, wow. you know, are the richest in the world. And we all walk by the building on our way to or from work, understanding that we live in a society that is more and more catering to those people, because that's where all the money is. And we, we can't get the health insurance we need. The cost of living is encroaching on us. We can't send our kids to school without them running up a level of debt that will hobble them for the rest of their lives. The only real question for people like me is this. How long can you push how many people in this country down one way or another before they say enough? This is not tolerable. We are not going to turn in on ourselves, tell each other that the American dream is not for us anymore, explain to our children that they can't have an education, that they can't have a life uh, to look forward to, that the jobs they have are insecure with no benefits under the, uh, uh, the rule of people who will extract as we now learn, every kind of sexual uh, support and so on. It, how many of these things have to happen before the sense that we have to turn this society around produces the social movements that alone can do it? Yeah, well, I, I'm actually, uh, I kind of wanted to end on that, kind of looking at how what's happening right now, the, the tremendous economic pressures put on people the this this shift this you know corporate coup what kind of impact does this have on the ability of people to organize i know you you speak very passionately and advocate very passionately for, for worker co-ops and and other means of kind of people empowerment how does what is happening impact those types of movements from your perspective well i think they're recruiting for us i mean i make a joke when i go around the country speaking and I say, I want to thank Donald Trump, because in a particular way, Donald Trump is what brings thousands of people to the speeches that I give around the United States. They don't come so much to hear me. They come to hear something other than what they're hearing from the president, who turns them off, or worse, with every tweet that he sends, sends out there. So yes, I go around the country saying, if you don't like the way the American economy works for you, it has to do with the fact that in every office, every store, every factory, a tiny group of people at the top make all the decisions. The major shareholders and the executives that they put into the top positions, they sit around and they decide what you produce, how you do it, where you do it, when you do it, and they decide with the profits. Even though your labor and that of all your co-workers help to produce those profits, you have no say in what is done with them. Once you let the system work like that, you can't really be surprised that the people at the top take for themselves the profits because they are in a position to do that. You would do it, too, if you were in that position. So the problem isn't that these are good or bad people. The problem is they're in a position that oughtn't to be there in the first place. So I advocate we've got to change our economic system. If you want it to work for all the people, then you have to put all the people 
in charge. A worker co-op is a system in which all the people who work someplace, the managers, the service workers, the, the, the assembly line workers, the janitors, they are all one person, one vote, democracy. They together decide what that business is going to be doing. And they together decide what to do with the profits that they together produced. If you did that, you would change this economy overnight. No way are a group of working people in a, in a store, for example, going to give the boss all of the profits so he can do whatever he wants, and they have to borrow money to give their kids a college education. They're not going to distribute income like that. We're not going to be an unequal society. We'll be much less unequal than we otherwise would, and so on. So for me, that's why I say it, the system is over. The only solution we have is a monumental change because we've gone too far down the road to appeal to the people who run capitalist enterprises really behave differently. That's like going to think you're going to solve the drug problem by telling people not to do it. You have to make a much more fundamental change so that people don't have the incentives to do these things and the rewards from doing them. And I think that the changing the economic system is long overdue and now is the only way to stop this tax law from being the beginning of Lord knows what other things these Republicans and this president and this compliant set of Democrats is going to think up next because they're on a roll. Just as you hmm. said, they couldn't get the, the end of the Obamacare one way, they're getting it another. And whatever they don't get in this tax bill, which they already have gotten a lot, they will be getting in the next thing they do. If the people don't do something to stop it, we will in the end have only ourselves to blame for not making the changes as we saw the need become so obvious. Well, we are definitely going to keep talking about these issues, watching them, covering them here in D.C., and 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 speaking to you, hopefully on a regular basis, uh, at least once a month, and checking with you about these monumental things happening, uh, emanating here from D.C. Esther, I, I really do appreciate for, for myself and for your audience that you attend to these questions, and I'd be glad to participate in any way you thought would be useful. Okay. I've been speaking with Richard Wolf, Professor of Economics Emeritus at the University of Massachusetts, host of the radio and TV show Economic Update, and author of many books, including Capitalism's Crisis Deepens, Essays on the Global Economic Meltdown. Thank you for joining me today, Richard. Thank you, Esther. I look forward to speaking with you again in the future. And that will do it for today's show. I want to thank my guests, Richard Wolf, and thank Chantel James and Afra Abdullah for their reporting. The music we play this hour included People Every Day and Tennessee by Arrested Development. Our theme song is Voodoo Child by Jimi Hendrix. This is On the Ground, voices of resistance from the nation's capital on Pacifica Radio. You can reach us and listen to all of our shows on our website, onthegroundshow.org. Please like our Facebook and Twitter pages at On the Ground Show. And subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. I'm Esther Averam. Thank you for tuning in and keep raising your voice. Peace.
you, sweet time. I'll give it right back to you. Oh, what is this? Dude? 